I'm Sharon. Welcome to Queen of the Hills podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Queen of the Hills podcast. I'm your host, Sharon. And today we will be talking about Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. Let's get into it. Before I start, I want to let you know that there are spoilers, 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 <laughs> spoilers ahead. I don't want you thinking that you're going to listen to this and walk away with the wonder and magic of the unknown. No, you will not. You are about to hear everything that I know about Stranger Things 4 Volume 1. You will know it when you finish this episode. So if you have not listened to it, please go check out Stranger Things Volume, or excuse me, Season 4 Volume 1 over on Netflix and then come on back so we can discuss it. Or if you're like me, I don't mind spoilers so much. Because I'm still going to watch it for the first time by myself. And whatever you said is just going to play in as like commentary from a friend while I'm watching. Which I also don't mind. I don't care that people talk during the movies or shows. So it is what a T.I.T. is. So today, again, I want to talk about Stranger Things 4. If you can recall, we are now catching up with a few of our favorite characters. I'm just going to go down about where we find our characters opening up season 4. And then I'm going to get into my thoughts. Now, there is a monster this season. His name is Vecna, and I'm sure you've seen the memes of what song would save you from Vecna. Now, we know that little Miss Max Mayfield, her song that saved her from Vecna was Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush, which I found, I discovered that song when I first watched Pose, and I became obsessed with that song ever since then. When I watched Pose, it just transported me into the world of Angel and her man, the married man. I forgot his name. I think it might have been Nick, but um, she was dating that married man, that married rich man. And I just loved that little relationship. And then I was happy when it was over, too. And so I, I started to miss the characters from Pose when they played Kate Bush. I was like, oh, I miss Angel. I miss Mother. So anyway, um, but... Vecna is just a red Grinch. Tell me I'm lying. <laughs> Vecna is a bloody Grinch. Vecna looks like if you were to set the Grinch on fire, all his hair burn off and all you see is red exposed skin. He is built just like the Grinch. When they showed that full body spot, full body shot, I said, come through Vecna work, body, yaddy, yaddy. He looks like the Grinch. And he acts like the Grinch on a deeper level. So now what Vecna does is he finds those who have some sort of insurmountable, insurmountable guilt, some sort of weight in their mind, in their soul, in their heart that they can't get over, something they feel responsible for, they feel guilty for, and he inhabits their mind and crushes them from the inside out. He torments them like mice in a maze, and then he crushes them, literally crushes them. It's a lot, okay? It's a lot. And this season is a little bit spookier, is a little bit scarier, but it is what it is. It definitely has a vibe of uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And if you know me, you know I am a horror buff. I love vintage horror. And that doesn't even feel vintage. I remember when those movies were still coming out as new, which are considered classics. I'm an 80s baby and a 90s child. And I remember Friday the 13th. Um, ooh, a new nightmare is my favorite Friday the 13th. Little little uh, story about me. I love a new nightmare when they were climbing through the bed. Oh, my God. That one is just so perfect. It still looks. Anyway, it does still look new. And then the scene over the highway. Ooh, perfection. Anyway, I'm a fan of Freddy Krueger because we spent a lot of our time together during my childhood. I dreamed about Freddy Krueger and the Puppet Masters for quite some time, the first 10 years of my life. And so we've become quite acquainted. But it's also why I couldn't sleep for a really long time and why I'm afraid of the dark to this day. There's nearly there's a nightlight or a glow light in every hallway of my house, of my townhouse and every room. Some kind of light is on when you enter that room. No room is completely dark because of Freddy Krueger and the Puppet Masters. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so... If you know, now I had no idea before I watched this show, but because I'm a big friend, fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I nearly lost it when I saw one Mr. Robert England as a guest star on the season. Now, a lot of people already knew that he would be on the season. I did not. So when I saw him turn around as Victor Real, I screamed. I'm sure my husband was like, this woman gets crazier and crazier as the days go by, but I love her. But I, I was just like, oh, my God. Huh, huh, that's, that's, that, oh, my God, that's Robert England. I, 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 and I was trying to explain to him who he was, but, you know, Robert England's eyes were kind of, uh, they were gone in, this, in the show. And 
So it's really hard to tell, but I know that jawline and that mouth anywhere. First of all, Robert England looks like my cousin Marcus. So I always think of him when I see him. But yeah, I was so excited when I saw Robert England. I cannot tell you how much I love Robert England. I, I just do. He tormented my dreams. But damn it, we're friends now. And, and I'm okay with it. So uh, that's the big horror that they're going through. And they're trying to, the, the, the gang is all here. And they're trying to figure out how to stop Vecna. But while they're in the process of trying to stop Vecna and solve this mystery, Vecna starts inhabiting the gang. Bum, bum, bum. So, anywho, let's catch up. If you remember last season after the big catastrophe at the mall, um, Winona Ryder, uh, excuse me, Joyce Byers, played by Winona Ryder, um, the queen of the, of the silver screen. Um, Winona Ryder, I keep calling her that, Joyce Byers um, is now moving to California with her son, Jonathan and Will. And Elle is also now one of her children. Last season, we saw Hopper explode. Well, he was close to the explosion when they had to close the portal. And um, he didn't make it. As far as we know, <gasps> what? what? you've already seen it. So, you know, <laughs> um, but up until this point, when the season opens, that's what we think. So Elle thinking her daddy died. She now lives with Joyce and we see them living in California and we all we see all of them adjusting in a new way. So Elle is not fitting in. We see her lying to Mike in her letters to Mike. She is not fitting in. There are bullies there. And we see Will. He seems like he's adjusted just fine and he's okay with where he lives and he's okay with the transition. I'm sure he misses his friends, but he doesn't seem as highly affected as L. We also see that there doesn't seem to be a connection between L and Will. Now we know the gang season three, they were close and they were all about it and they, you know, doing their thing, solving crime and blah, 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 solving crime, solving mysteries and, and saving the little town of Hawkins. But we see now that they live together, there seems to be some kind of distance. It seems to be a disconnect and we're trying to figure it out. Will's place in the group is always going to be that way because we were introduced with him being removed from the group. So anytime he is a heavy part of the group, we will notice some sort of change because we've come to know the group outside of him being present because they're usually looking for him or protecting him or saving him or something of the other, including Elle. Um, so also Elle usually goes on adventures on her own as well. And so, it was good to see everybody back in action. We see Nancy getting ready for college. She is being a boss. She's kicking ass at school. She's doing the thing. But we see Jonathan is maybe not so kicking ass. He doesn't seem like he has a lot of prospects for college. And, it, and I'm, I didn't really get clarity on whether or not he did get in. But I know that he planned to stay behind. Whether he got in or not, he planned to stay behind. And so he's creating distance between himself and Nancy because he doesn't want Nancy to sacrifice herself and her future to be with him. He wants her to go off to college and feel confident doing so. So he is creating intentional distance between them so that she will pursue her her pursuits she will pursue her um interests outside of him now before we go any further i want to say something to my young ladies out there and young men do not make your decisions about college based on your relationship and i'm not going to be condescending and say like oh yeah i know it's different oh i know i'm not going to be condescending when no matter what age you are when you fall in love it feels very strong it feels very real and I'm not going to insult you and, and invalidate your feelings because of your age. When you know, you know. I'm sure you, are, you know what love feels like. And you know when you are in love. And I do, I'm not one of those people who feel like you can't really be in love at, at a young age. I feel like for your age, you can be as in love as you possibly can be, which is still a very strong feeling for your age. So I'm never going to invalidate someone's feelings because of their age. What I will say is there are only upsides to making your own decision for yourself only. There are no downsides to going to college with yourself and only yourself in mind. The upsides are, I am so sorry, there's an iguana running in front of my window and I just had to stop and watch it. But the upsides to going to college on your own volition are, I think that's the right word, is you get to know yourself in a different way when you leave for college. 
you still kind of get a, a piece of that when you live at home and do your first two years, like your basics from home, just cheaper and a lot more uh, fiscally responsible. And it's a lot easier and it just makes a lot of sense. But when you go away to college, you shed the things that are comforting to you. And it is terrifying. You can still be excited and happy while also being scared shitless because it's different. And what I will say is when you go to college, you have an opportunity like no other to choose the life you will live. Most people don't understand how impactful those early 20s are when you're by yourself. A lot of times when you leave home, not for everyone, but a lot of times you will actually leave a network or a cycle that you aren't aware you're a part of. And sometimes that cycle can be toxic and some people have come to pacify the toxic cycle that they're in because it's all they know and they don't realize what kind of cycle they were in until they leave. So it's a great opportunity to shed that skin and to shed that cycle and start over. It's a great opportunity to get to know yourself in a way that you never would have in face of your comforts. When you're comfortable, you really don't learn much about yourself. You appease yourself in the ways that you're happy now, but you have no idea what other things could make you happy and what other interests you have or what other things you like or things that would benefit you if you never try them, if you're never pushed out of your comfort zone. And college is a great place for that. Also, you get to focus on yourself in a way that you never will again. I mean that. When you get out of college and you start work, it is very hard to focus on yourself in the way that you can when you're in college. Yes, schoolwork is work and building a new life is a lot of work. But there's something about the unknown of being a young adult and entering the world for the first time on your own that gives you so much power and strength and energy that you won't have at any other point in your life. It's this great unknown where the rest of your life is in front of you and you get to choose who you are when you show up in that world from this point forward. You don't have your parents, your friends, your spouse, your cousins, any of the comforts from home telling you to stay who you were. It's all about being who you are and choosing who you will be. And you have this power to do that. If you were shy and meek in high school or before and now you're like, you know what? that I'm about to go in here and be bold I'm about to be fun vivacious fearless you can do it if you've been a little loud and and energetic and extroverted and you say you know what I want to be more reserved I want to be more demure I want to be more of a woman of mystery you can do that you don't have anyone's anyone else's expectations holding you back you don't have a responsibility to anyone else but yourself and so when you go to college by yourself you are in full power to be your best self. Also, you are learning who you are. And that takes a lot of work. Building who you are and learning who you are takes a lot of work. Shedding your old skins and habits takes so much. And if you're in a relationship, that person is also doing the same thing. Now, building a relationship with yourself is already a lot of work. But building your relationship with someone else is also two times harder. So if both people are trying to work on themselves and build a relationship with someone else, they're still taking time and energy away from themselves that is so needed. Something that can happen when you're in your early 20s and you're dating someone and trying to build this foundation with them is sometimes we build a relationship with the person as they are, but we fail to adjust to who they're becoming or who they will be. And that's the horror of dating someone at such a, a, at such a pivotal moment in your life because you're always in transition. You're forming, you're transforming. It's like trying to, to date as a fetus. Well, I'm dating a dude with one hand and a toe. And then next week he's got all four feet and I mean, all four, feet, all four phalanges. <laughs> oh my God. No, he's got all four limbs and he's got two feet and two hands and all five fingers and toes on each one. And I'm like, whoa, 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 this isn't what I signed up for. It's kind of the same thing. You're One day you're dating this person who's one way, but as they're building who they are and growing into who they'll become, they change. And that change is hard as hell on a relationship. It's a lot less hard when there's distance between you because you don't see the change every day. You don't feel the change happening. You just observe but you're so focused on yourself that it's not as big of a pivotal moment between you because you're focused on you. He's focused on him. So what I'm saying is 
always go to college for yourself. And even though you may love someone, and I am not one of those adults that's like, honey, you don't know what love is. Yes, you do. You know what love is. And love feels very different at different ages. I would venture to say the older you get, the more detached we get from what love really is. We start to put love into a box as you get older. Love is about security. Love is about solidarity. Love is, love is what you feel for that person. And then the requirements and must-haves of a relationship are something very different. And what love means to a person is what it means to that person. Love doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And so the older you get, sometimes we get distracted by the, the trappings of this world and the things we need to acquire and the expectations and blah, 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 that we move away from just simple love in the way that we're able to focus on when we're young. So I don't think that you don't love each other because you're young. I think that you have learned to prioritize love over your future. And that is not healthy because a good, good love will survive for years. It's your will. And guess what? The upside, the other upside to going to college for yourself, you only get better with time. Once you've taken that four years or however long you're going to be in college to really develop and become your best self and that other person does too, when you come back together, you're able to truly operate at a high level because you both spent time building, building, building. And so when you come back together, you get to come back together as fully formed, high functioning people. Instead of insecure, confused, but holding on to each other out of fear, out of comfort, resilience, you, you get to come together as empowered people. And so your relationship is that much stronger. And then there's also this higher level of appreciation because you have had that distance. So lastly, I'm just going to say, don't make a decision about your future because of a guy or because of a girl or because of a relationship in general or a friend, anybody. Make a decision about your future because of how it will serve you. Because again, you are the only person who has to live your life. That's my soapbox. That's just because I was thinking about what, you know, Jonathan and Nancy and Jonathan really felt like Nancy would hold herself back for him. And I said, Ooh, there's no worse decision that could be made. No worse. Anywho, we see Joyce is still coping with the loss of her friend Hopper. And they've had this little flirtation ship going. Um, they love each other and they hate, they hate to love each other is how I put it. But she gets a letter that Hopper is not dead, that he is being held captive in Russia. And she is asked to bring $40,000 to Russia, hook up with some guy over there and retrieve Hopper. And so the entire season we watch her on that journey to get Hopper. She doesn't tell the kids. She tells the kids it's because of work that she's traveling, but she goes to get Hopper. And we see Hopper struggling in his Russian prison. It is Hopper. And he is conspiring with a guard to get out, to sneak out. And there's a lot of twists and turns in that journey. And he and Joyce are just trying to get back to America together. So we see Lucas. Lucas Sinclair is now popular. He plays basketball. He's got a nice little high top fade. Love it, love it, love it. And we see his sister, Erica Sinclair. She's still a boss. She's still bad. She's still smart and intellectual. She's still anti-capitalism. <laughs> no, is she anti or pro? I can't remember, but I know she goes on these little rants about capitalism. But um, she is definitely thriving this season. She is part of the gang officially now, which I love. I love Erica Sinclair. She's my favorite character. Now, Max and Lucas are not dating anymore. Max is still going through the woes of guilt for feeling responsible for her brother's death, Billy. And sorry about that. I had to take a little break. Um, I'm still fighting a cold. And so I was coughing my bad. Um, but yeah, so we see Lucas and Max are not dating and Lucas is wanting to connect with his friends, but he also is on a quest to be popular. And I went on this quest when I was a junior in high school where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of just being chill. I think I'm gonna be popular. And I did it and it was fun. And then I was back normal again. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I, I can understand it's not from a vanity place. He's wanting to be popular because he's tired of being bullied and he wants a, he wants the girls to like them. Normal desires for teens. You are not crazy for not wanting to be an outcast. That is actually pretty normal human behavior to want to be 
part of uh, the popular social group. They seem to have a lot of fun advertising and and movies and shows are all geared towards them and, and what they like. They set the trends. They're on top. They just all the things. It's like being a celebrity in high school. So I completely understand him wanting to be popular, but I don't understand why he has to reject his friends to do it. I guess it's me. In my high school, there wasn't this nerd group and this cool group. There were people who were very popular and had a lot of friends, but even those people had really good grades and they were they had an eclectic group of friends and they had like, there wasn't this like, because you're in band, you're not cool. Or because you're in the Spanish or the key club, you're not cool. Let me tell you this. I was pretty popular. I mean, I got voted onto every court. Um, I didn't win any of them. <laughs> I wasn't too popular. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I, I got voted onto all the courts every year. I, I won a bunch of the awards, the the popularity awards, like the most beautiful, most fr- best, the friendliest, and uh, who's who, and and, and uh, homecoming king and queen, and blah, 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 and all that stuff. I got voted onto the courts for all of that. I was always nominated blah, blah, blah. So I was a cheerleader. I was um, a dance officer. I was also in band, very much so in band. I love band. Band was probably my favorite activity. Um, I was in the key club and the Spanish club. And I mean, I just did a lot of stuff. Okay. And so, <laughs> so there wasn't this, um, if you're in this club, you're not cool. If anything, because you're cool, you make that thing cool. And so I, I guess in the 80s it was different, but he couldn't be in the little um, Hellfire Club with his other friends where they played Dungeons and Dragons because he wanted to play basketball and they kind of made him feel bad about it. And then they didn't support him because on the nights when he was supposed to be with them, he had to play basketball. But because he wasn't getting in the game, they wanted him to miss the championship game. Let me tell you how that's unrealistic as hell. If you're part of any organized sport, you do not miss a game. I don't care if your shoe is on fire, you get another shoe and you play, you stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. This is something that I wanted to talk about on this as well, because you are not in the game. Doesn't mean you abandon it. It means you wait your turn and you stay ready while you're on the sidelines. You're still paying attention. You're still running plays in your head. You're still practicing. Like you are playing every single minute of every single game. You act as if you are the secret weapon of the team so that when you are called upon, you can perform. You do not stop yourself and hold back because you aren't getting the accolades you think you deserve. You earn them because everybody else on that team is also thinking the same damn thing. And so it's up to you to be that secret weapon every time you are called upon. And then guess what? You will be playing the majority of the minutes of the game. You got to make those minutes count. Whether you're paying, playing 30 seconds or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you make every single minute that Lucas Sinclair is touching the court. The best 30 seconds, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or what have you of that game. I used to manage my college's basketball team. I was one of the team managers. I did the official book, baby. And yes, I find that to be very important. It's been one of the funnest times of my life being a little team manager. But during that time, there were a lot of players who felt like they should have gotten more play time. But during practice, it wasn't evident. During practice, they weren't the first in and the last out. During practice, they weren't setting up. They weren't shooting free throws. They weren't warming up. They weren't stretching. They weren't doing one to two more suicides than the rest of the team, one to two more burpees than the rest of the team. They weren't shooting layups with their eyes closed. and They weren't shooting left-hand and right-hand layups. They weren't shooting the free throws from the half court. <laughs> That's not a free throw. <laughs> That's a half court shot. What I'm saying is when you want to step up in your field, you do a little extra, show up early, stay late. Perfect your craft, study, 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 learn, 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 practice, practice, practice. Be the game. Be a damn encyclopedia of basketball so you can get that extra one minute. Know every single play backwards and forwards. Help the coach set up the basketball rack. Roll the rack in. It's not setting it up. Make sure your shoes are always clean and tied. Make sure your clothes are always pressed and clean. Well, there's team managers. We used to do that. All I'm saying is, Every single time the coach looks at you, he should say, why don't I make him play more? 
Wow, what a shot. Whoa, he's working hard. Put yourself in a position to always elevate. You can't just get PT because you want PT playing time. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. So, yeah, I'm glad Lucas didn't skip the game because he wasn't getting minutes because guess what? He got his first shot. He did it at the same time that little Miss Erica was killing it in the Dungeons and Dragons. So, anyway, we see that's where they are. He's wanting to build a connection with Max again, but she's pushing him away. She's going through some stuff. And her life has changed significantly. They really depicted her struggles really well. It wasn't personal. She was still trying to figure out who she was in this new dynamic as well. Just her and her mom. So, um, again, we saw Nancy. She's about to go to college, and she's waiting to hear back from Jonathan. And she's not trying to freak out about why he's not around, but she is. The, the cracks are starting to show. Um, we saw little Dustin. He is, he and Mike are part of this hellfire gang with their fearless leader, Eddie Munson. He's a newbie in town. He is the leader of the hellfire gang where they play dungeons and dragons and they want to be seen as really cool in Eddie's eyes, which Eddie is my favorite new character. I love him. Love him. Love him. He is one of my favorite characters on a show ever. I love Eddie, but um, we also see, oh yeah, I forgot to mention when Joyce goes to Russia to retrieve Hopper, she takes Murray with her. And so they go together, which is cool. Um, and then lastly, um, Steve and Robin, they're still really close friends. If you can recall, Steve was starting to develop feelings for Robin, but she is a lesbian. And so now we see him transitioning into a, a more of a confidant brother, sister type of role, but what we also see is that Nancy is starting to kind of fall back into the Steve maze. She's starting to kind of have feelings for Steve again. She's starting to get curious about him again. And so she's starting to not like Robin because she thinks Robin and Steve have something going on. But this entire season, Steve is looking for a girl, but he's not looking for any girl. He's looking for Nancy in every girl he meets. So we might be getting a little Stancy 2.0 <laughs> or Neve 2.0. So this season, they're chasing this Vecna monster. As I mentioned, this um, Vecna monster crushes the mind from the inside out for those who have a weight on their brain, usually of guilt or some sort of morose stigma or stigma, some sort of morose content, something they've done, something they feel guilty about, something they feel oppressed by. They're stressed. Now, we see that Max is depressed. She's still adjusting to the fact that Billy died and it, she feels like it's her responsibility. But I want to remind people that we are not going to redeem Billy. Billy, Billy dead, Billy dead and gone. And we're glad about it, right? Because Billy was a stone cold racist. Now, something I feel like Stranger Things didn't do a good job of was they depicted Lucas being uh, the subject of racist attacks from Billy, but they never went into dialogue about it. They never circled back. They never healed that wound for the show. And I thought that was such a shame. Why depict it anyway? We are very much aware that racism is alive and well. We know we live it every day. Why don't black people get any kind of reprieve when it comes to our favorite content? Why do we have to deal with racism in every single aspect of our life, even our escapism television shows? It's just so much. It's just so much. Why can't we just have a good time? It made no sense for them to put Lucas in that position other than to highlight other race, racist viewers to target him. And that's what I feel like could have happened. I don't like that. They never came back and made Billy redeem himself. They never, they tried to give us that little weak ass redemption in the 11th hour, but that, that didn't excuse his racism. They didn't show Lucas getting the retribution he so deserved because he did not deserve to be isolated like that. Racism is not bullying. Bullying, racism is a form of bullying, but, but racism is its own harrowing event that most, if not all black people have experienced in almost every aspect of our life. I have experienced racism where I live in my home, uh, not in my home, but like where I live in communities. I have experienced racism in my jobs. Uh-huh. I have experienced racism at restaurants, at stores. I have experienced racism in a lot of forms. And even then, that's from a place of quote unquote privilege due to colorism because I am a lighter skinned black person. I don't even get the type of the same experience as most people, as my darker skin counterparts. Not only that, but I'm conventionally, quote unquote, conventionally by European standards, pretty attractive. So I'm still not getting the same type of harrowing experiences that a lot of my counterparts and family members and friends get. 
And I still think it's bad. So I know that racism is real. We don't have to abuse black people in all of our content, though. I just want to remind people of that because it's not fair. And so, no, Billy doesn't get to redeem himself. Billy dead and gone and good. I wish they stomped a mud hole in his ass. And I wish they had made it a little bit more gruesome so that we could remind racists that you deserve this every time you do something to black people because you don't like black people due to your own inadequacies and your own stupid ass hatred that has no place in this society but has found a home. You deserve what Billy got. <laughs> you ain't redeeming Billy in my eyes. And Max, dry your little tears. Don't cry over a racist. Yes, he was her brother, but he was still racist. So anyway, because of that, Max is going through it. And we soon find that Vecna has targeted her as well. This has resulted in, I think it's episode four, as being one of the best scenes I've ever seen on television. But basically this whole season, we see the team going through a lot of transition. So I want to come back to Elle. Something that I noticed this season was Elle, again, is not adjusting well to California. She is not happy there. And of course, there's a girl named Angela who bullies her. And she's, she bullies her a lot. And she's really cruel to her. I was glad to see a teacher stand up for Elle because in a lot of these shows, the teachers just be gone. Teachers would not have allowed a lot of this shit at my school. Like, the way bullying is depicted on TV at my school, that never would have rocked. Ever. The teachers at my school, I went to a small town, though. I went to Wills Point High School in Wills Point, Texas. So I think we, we had a very small school. We were 3A when I was there. But, um... Yeah, our teachers were pretty active. Now, the principal that we had at the time, he was actually, he showed signs of being possibly a racist. Can't say that he was, but the principal that was there my senior, my junior and senior year, he was also a football coach because this is a small town. And I saw the way he spoke to black kids versus how he spoke to white kids, including myself. And I have very strong vibes that if you weren't playing football and getting touchdowns on his behalf or getting buckets on the basketball team on his behalf, on the school's behalf, then you were just another part of a group that he didn't really care for. And he, he really didn't do a good job of hiding it. So, um, uh, but other than that, the teachers, all the teachers seem pretty cool. So we see Elle, she's not adjusting and she's writing letters to Mike that appear that she is adjusting. So her letters to Mike are very frilly. They're very dishonest. Well, I won't say very dishonest. They just, they shadow the truth to make it sound like she's doing a lot better than she is. But I think it's partially, one, she's embarrassed for not having a friend group and, and, and normal things that kids want is to have friends and they don't want to look like a loser. And I don't think she wants her boyfriend to see her as a loser. She also feels like he no longer loves her because he stopped including love on his letters. And so she's, she's trying to appeal to him again. She wants, she's needing validation. Every aspect of her life, she's feeling loneliness and rejection. She lost Hopper. She's living in a new town, essentially with a new family. Yes, she knows Joyce and her children. They're part of her friend group. But again, we got to remember Elle grew up in a lab. So a family dynamic is not something that Elle even has experience with. So here's another transition for Elle. Um, in addition to that, we see that Will doesn't seem to be a great source of comfort for her. They're not leaning on each other like I would have expected. Jonathan is dealing with his own thing with Nancy and college and his future. He's also made a new friend at the pizza shop where he works named Argyle, and they seem to be pretty close. They get high all day. But, um, and Nancy's in her own world too. Wait, no, yeah. Will is in his own world too. And so he's noticing Elle's lack of transition, but he's not offering support, and that's a little surprising. I want to read Mr. Will right quick. Now, I know Will been through it the most out of everybody. Will has been having his ass handed to him season after season. So, you know, Will gets all my sympathy, blah, 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 blah. But Will, Elle has risked her life to save you multiple times. And you can't even stand next to her as bullies are bullying her. You can't even be there for her when people are picking on her. You can't even stand up for her verbally. You can't step in and say, you're not going to face this alone. We saw Will be a bystander as she's getting bullied multiple times. This group of people is picking on your sister slash friend and you stand in the crowd. You didn't even walk up and say, leave her alone. 
which I would have. Honey, I love a good dramatic moment. What more do you want from me? I love it. Give me an opportunity to scream at somebody. I'm going to do it. I always stood up for uh, for people of bullying. Always. I can't stand to see somebody standing in the face of adversity alone. I don't give a shit what it is. If the repo man come to get your car, he finna come get both our cars. Not my car, literally. He's been, I'm going to stand next to you and act like it's my car too. I'm going to yell at the man and scream at the man. I might even kick his truck, depending on if that's still a misdemeanor or not. But um, I'm not going to let anybody stand in the face of adversity by themselves. And so for Will to have to go home, ride home on the bus or however they get home together with the person he just let get bullied. Will, you are a trash-ass friend. It seems like Will is going through some transitioning of his own. He is dealing with missing his friend group, living in a new town, all the trauma he's faced in the last few years, the, the, the upside down been whooping his ass. And so we see Will is trying to adjust, but he also seems way more content than Elle. And he's not helping her in any way. He's not even showing her just general camaraderie. He's just not there for her. And he judges her. Instead of seeing her lying as a cry for help, he kind of presses her about it. He just becomes another adversary, another thing she has to survive. Will is a bad friend. Elle has saved your life and risked her life multiple times. You know, Elle could be with number eight, her sister, living life. Instead, she came back for you. She had to protect Will, and Will does not appreciate her. He didn't even stand up for her when the bullies were throwing drinks at her at the skating rink. And then he tried to expose her lies to Mike. And Mike was like, why aren't you there for her? Or why didn't, you know, why didn't you say anything? And I, I agreed with Mike. Will was being a bad friend to both him and, and Elle. Now, Mike visits California to see Elle and, and Will. And I never noticed this until afterwards, but it was actually on Will's birthday that they visited. And so Will was feeling shut out and left out because all Mike wanted to do was, you know, hug and kiss up on Elle because that's his little girlfriend. But Will missed his friend. That's a, that's a testament. First of all, don't ever date within your, in, within your friend group, ever. Don't ever date within your friend group. Don't, 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 don't. But also, when you have a friend, don't, don't exclude your friends for your relationship. You have to spend equal time. And if it's three people and one of the people is your spouse, kind of hold back on making it a romantic outing because that will third will your other friends. If you're still in the same friend group that you're dating within, try to just be mindful that no one wants to be a third will to a romantic liaison. It's uncomfortable as hell and it just makes you feel like a loser. And so they're learning this, they're young. However, Will seems almost jealous. I know that there's discourse about possibly Will having feelings for Mike and maybe Will is gay. And I want to condemn the way the Duffer brothers are handling this potential gay side of Will because it hasn't been confirmed, but it does seem like there is a longing. Now, in my personal opinion, he doesn't necessarily seem like he is in love with Mike. I think he misses his friend. And every time men show affection, it isn't gay. You know, I don't think they meant it as an insult either because there's nothing insulting about being gay. I think it's a, just a misunderstanding. Men can show affection. Boys can show affection without being gay. And it's okay to say, I want to spend time with my friend. I wanted to hang out with my friend. I miss and love my friend. That is totally okay. I don't think that makes Will gay. I think it makes, I think it makes him a good friend. He misses his friend. And if you notice in the last seasons, because I binged them all last weekend, Mike was the one who stood up for Will the most. Anytime Will was having a breakdown, Mike is the person he would run to or who would run to him. They were close. They were closer than any other group members. It was those two that were friends first, I believe. So he misses his friend and his friend showed up on his birthday and spent no time with him. I want to know what he painted. I'm hoping in the season, in volume two, we find out what the hell Will painted for Mike. Maybe that'll clear up some of this. That'll clear up some of this. But boys can paint pictures for their boys. I mean, me and my friends used to draw pictures for each other in high school and send them to each other, hand them to each other in a little clearly, coolly crafted letter folding style. Little origami letters all around us before texting or when texting was 10 cents. Y'all don't remember those very dark times in technology. But anyway, um, so I don't think Will is gay. Well, you know, I don't know if Will is gay. Um, sexuality is on a spectrum. 
And so it's very normal for a boy who is going through or just just entering puberty to be confused about how he feels about the people in his life, his friends, be that girls or boys or other. He, he might just be confused about what he's feeling. This is the time where you really hone in on who you are in a lot of ways and what you're attracted to. And we don't know if he's just longing for his connection as a friend or if he's wanting something more. We, we really don't know. I think it's a very confusing time. But what I will say is Will does deserve to have his friend. Mike needs to be a better friend to both him and Elle. But also, Will, you got to be a better friend to Elle. That's your sister. And I really didn't like the way he, he befriended her. Now, we saw that a few people got killed on the show and um they're blaming eddie munson because he was last seen with one of the girls who died a cheerleader now we know that that vecna killed her and it traumatized the hell out of eddie because he witnessed it it happened in his trailer but her boyfriend thinks eddie killed her but eddie is running around scared because people are accusing him but also he saw somebody die in midair and he has no idea how it happened so they start to hone in on the satanic panic of the 80s. I was shocked that they included this. If you if you don't, I, sh I recommend you listen to um, Your Wrong About podcast. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite podcasts. I have learned so much uh, from that podcast, and I would love to be a guest on that podcast, but I don't think they know who I am. I have like 18 listeners, and y'all are a strong and mighty 18, and I am here for every last one of you listening. But... The You're Wrong About podcast talked about the satanic panic, and I was super excited about it when I saw it depicted on the show. I was like, oh, it's a satanic panic. <laughs> Why does that make me excited? I don't know. I just love and I recognize things. But they fully prepared me for what to expect. And boy, did Stranger Things not disappoint. That little football player, um, the girl who died, her boyfriend, he practically ran a Klan rally trying to rile everybody up to go and find Eddie Munson to kill him because he was saying he's a devil worshiper and he sacrificed his girlfriend. So uh, we watch Eddie running from this group of basketball players who once included Luke, Lucas, but Lucas got away. Lucas got away. Um, he sent them uh, down the wrong rabbit hole and then he got away. The group found out that Eddie Munson was was being helped by Dustin and Mike. And so the group started looking for Dustin and Mike as well to do whatever they were going to do to Eddie Munson. They were also going to do to Dustin. So Lucas warned Dustin and we see him reunite with his friends. And it was good because the whole the whole beginning we were like, oh, no, I don't want the friend group to die. I love them. But I thought it was pretty realistic that Lucas became popular because Lucas is adorable. And if he's athletic in high school, then, yeah, that he was probably going to be popular. So the season we see them chase down Vecna. They find Vecna. They start to get clues on Vecna. They, they, they crack the case of what's going on with Vecna and Victor Real and all of them. But right as we think they're about to get out of the upside down and they've solved the case and they're about to go wreck shop on Vecna's ass, we see Vecna get Nancy. And that is how we leave the season volume one. Vecna got Nancy. Now, she hasn't died yet, but we see that because Nancy was the one asking questions, Vecna is explaining what's going on. And so at the time, they're all the older kids are in the upside down. Eddie Munson, Robin, Steve and Nancy are all in the upside down. And we see Dustin. Um, who was it? Dustin and someone else. Dustin, Mike, I think I can't. Remember. I know that Dustin and, and others. Oh, Dustin and Erica and some others are trying to help them get out of the upside down. And so they throw a rope and everyone is climbing over the rope. And this scene stressed me out because I'm like, everybody get on the goddamn rope, climb that bitch and get out of there. And, and y'all can talk about it later, but listen, but we see Nancy get on the rope and she says those terrifying words, see you on the other side. And I knew something bad was going to happen. Something bad was going to happen. <sighs> Vecna gets her. He starts showing her everything. And we realize that Nancy never let Barb's death go. Remember Barb? She died in the pool. Um, she got sucked into the upside down. Um, and Nancy, she called out for Nancy. And Nancy didn't hear her because Nancy was up getting her cape slapped by Steve. And so that was when they were uh, stancy. And um, uh, yeah, so we, we now find out Nancy has been feeling guilt about that all this time. 
But Vecna offers her the opportunity to learn a little bit about him before he takes her out. And so the, the team is trying to figure out what is Nancy's favorite song because that is the thing that helps people to not allow Vecna to take their mind. I thought it was interesting because music has long been known to be helpful when it comes to mental illness and overcoming mental depression and things like that. There's a lot of mental health and behavioral health aspects to this. And I love that they're including music. I thought Dr. Strange did something very similar as well. But um, yes, music can reach parts of the brain that words cannot. And so I thought it was interesting that they use music. And so they're trying to figure out what Nancy's favorite song is so that they can save her life. And that's where we leave it. We also find out that L, oh, I forgot. So L beat the shit out of Angela with a skate. The cops take L away. But when they take her away, um, a Dr. Owens swoops in and grabs L and takes her back to Papa, Dr. Brenner. Papa. She takes her back to Papa. And so we watch Elle trying to figure out what these flashbacks of her massacring the entire lab is all about. We know that she is haunted by this massacre and she can't figure out why she did it. And so they start doing experiments on her and come to find out that 001, the guard who was at the lab helping Elle, was actually Vecna. That was Vecna. And Vecna was created because he was the strongest one in the lab. And they put something in his brain to control him. So he started helping Elle to use her as his puppet. And once he helped her out, he had her take the little thing out of his brain so that he could use his powers again. And boy, when he used them, he killed everybody but Elle. And he planned to take Elle with him or to get, help Elle get out. And Elle refused because she was so upset about him massacring everybody, even the people who bullied her in the lab. She's such a forgiving person because I, they would have been my first get. I would have been like, see, these three, they're fine. Good for you on that, but you did not have to kill everybody else. How dare you, 001? But, you know, Elle is a lot nicer than I am. And so Elle gets so upset that she attacks 001. Now it's the a battle of the best 001 and 011 and just going back and forth and whooping ass and L gets so upset she banishes him into the underworld with her magic and she pushes him so hard that he it opens up a portal to the underworld he's banished there and while there he turns into Vecna L created Vecna L opened up the portal to the upside down L is the cause of all of this. So you already know where we're going volume two. L got to close it. L got to clean house. And L got to fix this shit. Oh my goodness. So we know that this is not the final season. They're going to go five seasons and the fifth season will be the final. But boy, if they ended on this note, it would make a lot of sense because it, it connected a lot of dots. But that's where we end the season. I thought this was an amazing season, volume one. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I thought all the actors, especially little Max Mayfield played by Sadie Sink and little bitty Millie Bobby Brown, I thought they acted their asses off. They killed it. Also, a little, um, I don't want to say undercover giant, a little um, uh, unsung hero, Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson. He is doing a phenomenal job. His scenes where he is in fear are so captivating because you really feel the panic through the screen. I mean, he acts from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is killing it. I think they're doing an amazing job. Uh, David Harbour as uh, Chief Jim Harper and obviously Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers. They're also doing an amazing job. But I was so taken aback by Joseph Quinn and Joe Keery. Joe Keery plays Steve Harrington. By Joe Keery and Joseph Quinn and Sadie Sink this season, I don't know what to do. They did an amazing, amazing, amazing job. And this season, season one, or excuse me, season four, volume one, really knocked my socks off. Now, season three, they were kind of losing me because I did not like the development of the relationship between Elle and Mike. I didn't. I didn't care for it because, first of all, I'm in my 30s. Watching teenagers, very young teenagers, uh, kiss made me uncomfortable. I just didn't want to sit up and watch that shit. Like, it's one thing if it's happening in the scene. It's another thing if the scene is just them just slobbing each other down. I don't want to watch that. 
I'm not comfortable with it. First of all, I, the Amy and me wanted to slap the shit out of him with my purse, with my pocketbook. I wanted to pop them both in the back of the head and say, get y'all ass out there and quit that kissing. I'm fully transforming into the Amy I am meant to be. And so I was uncomfortable watching that. But to be fair with you, I'm not even going to lie to you, friends. Um, Season three almost pushed me over the edge. I really didn't care for it. Also, the introduction of the racism from Billy. I'm like, damn, we don't catch a break. It's always got to be racist. If there's a black cast member on a majority white show, they have got to show racism. And it's like, we don't get the escapism that everyone else gets. We don't get to just watch the show and exist amongst it and see ourselves represented and having a good time like all the rest of the cast. We always got to say, but this character got the uh-oh racism. It's like, damn, we don't catch a break. Good God, it's, it's, can we can we not? This show has ghouls and goblins and ghosts, oh my, and it can't give us a break from racism, even for an hour. They got to show it. We could be in space and the aliens going to be like, we'll inhabit your planet, but not with the black people there. Like, <laughs> they won't give us a freaking break. It's always going to be some racism. And I felt like the way the Duffer Brothers handled that was terrible. It, it, all, it just turned me all the way off. And I was glad when Billy got his ass handed to him. I was like, stomp his ass out. Kill him. But anyway, <laughs> those are my thoughts on Stranger Things vol Season 4, Volume 1. Please feel free to leave your comments. I know that you can send in a recording, but you can also hit me up over on Twitter at Sherry and Sade. Feel free to check out my YouTube channel, Sherry and Sade. It is going strong, baby. We're we're honing in on 3,500 subscribers. Woo -woo. My goal for the year was 1,000, and I hit that January 15th. I, this is why you write your goals down. I started the year with 85 subscribers on YouTube. January 15th, I hit 1,000. No lie. So, uh, yeah, I'm writing my goals down now. <laughs> my goal is to get to a thousand listeners on my podcast. So hopefully we can reach that by the end of the year. And I wrote it down. Don't make a lie out of me. But if you have not already, go ahead and leave me some comments or some love on anywhere where you listen to this podcast. Let the platform know that you enjoy my podcast. Subscribe, share it with your friends, your family, whoever. If you have a YouTube or, or excuse me, yeah, YouTube or a Twitter and you want to share my content, go right on ahead. I do not mind. And join the conversation. If you'd like to continue the conversation here on the platform where you listen, please do. Or you're welcome to uh, hit me up over on Twitter at Sherry and Sade. Also, follow me on YouTube at Sherry and Sade. And every week, this podcast, Queen of the Hills podcast, will make a new episode reviewing your favorite TV shows and movies. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.